So it's great to be with you all again. This time last week we were somewhere on I-95 driving back up from Georgia watching the service. In our, well, listening. You're not supposed to watch when you drive, right? Listening to the service in the car. It was kind of hard not to watch at times because uh, it just, man, and I appreciate Pastor Paul bringing the message last week and Bill with the music guys are phenomenal. And Today we're going to continue in the book of James. We're going to continue in James chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, if you could open the James chapter 2. Last week we talked about partiality, right? Pastor Paul brought a message on partiality. He talked about how would you deal with someone who came in wearing Air Jordans if somebody else was wearing Air Thompsons, right? That was, that was pretty good. I laughed out loud when I was driving on the road to that one. That was, that was good. It reminded me of a story actually when I grew up in Bolivia, South America as a missionary kid, and uh, we would go shoe shopping in this place called the Cancha. It was this huge outdoor market in, uh, in the city of Cochabamba where I lived. And I remember going, uh, sometimes we go to a shoe store, but oftentimes we would go to the Cancha, especially when we were little. And they would have all of these uh, little tienda-type stores there. They're open-facing, right? And they have their little booth with all of their different shoes that they have. And they have the Nike checkmark and the Adidas stripes and, and the Puma, you know, all that kind of stuff. They have all the names that you can think of up on these little shelves. And I remember I got, I got a pair of sneakers one time, and they looked so cool. And they were Reebok, right? Reebok. And I got home, and uh, I was showing someone, and they said, you know, these actually say Peebok. They don't say Reebok. You know that, right? Peebok. And so I had Peebok shoes, and that's what I wore for a while until I wore them out. Um, <laughs> pretty funny. Pretty funny. Uh, James chapter 2, before we dig in this morning, we start in verse 14. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for uh, the grace that has been given to us. Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth, uh, that we don't have to create truth, Father, but you've given it to us in a world that uh, spends so much time trying to say that there is no truth. Lord, we know that there's truth. It's in your word, and we know the truth, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would bless this time this morning. We thank you for being with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we move into the passage today, let me remind you of a couple of things that we talked about a number of weeks ago. James is writing to who? Do you remember? James is writing to who? He's writing to Jewish believers, right? This would have taken place most likely before the Gentiles really came into the church. He's addressing one's sanctification. The process that they go through once they have already been justified in the way that we are to live our lives as believers. Another interesting thing is, as we work through this passage today is, is some are going to, some look at this passage and say, well, James and Paul disagree. There's a disagreement here found in the scripture, and this is one of the passages that people try and use. Yet, we know, we know that James and Paul did not disagree, and we'll work through that here in a moment, but it's also important to note that James and Paul were both present in Acts chapter 15. James was over the church in Jerusalem. Paul comes in to talk about salvation, right? So they're not disagreeing, they're not against each other, and we'll look at that here today. This is probably the most controversial passage in the book of James. Um, so buckle up. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James asked two questions. What good is it if someone has faith and no works? One of the purposes of our faith is good works, right? That you are saved, 
Your faith in Jesus Christ should lead you to good works, should lead you to following out your faith, to living out your faith. It's to be a living testimony to the tremendous power of the risen Savior. Can that faith save him? Can the man's faith save him who doesn't have works? Some use this passage to try and justify a works-based salvation. That's not what James is trying to say here. Paul writes about one's justification before God. James addresses one's justification before men. If you're truly saved, there should be a difference in your life. You should look different than the world. You should see fruit in your life. A true living faith has fruit to show for it. Paul also recognized, we talk about as people are going to disagree, Paul also recognized the importance of the way that one lives their lives. Look at Titus 1.6. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. They profess to know God, but deny him by their works. As you look at the world around you, you can see people who, who say that they might know God. I read a, an interesting illustration. It talked about politicians, right, when election season comes. And all of a sudden, they're taking pictures with different church leaders, right? Or, or maybe even the Pope to make themselves look a little bit more religious. Yet their works and the way they live their lives say the complete opposite. People that claim to be Christians, claim to be believers, yet their actions say something completely different. James says, look, there are these people who say they have faith, but it does not show in their lives. Does that faith save them? Does a knowledge that God is truly over all save someone? And we'll get to that in a minute. James gives us an example. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and I think Pastor Paul talked last week about a poorly clothed person wearing redskins attire, right? That's what, they had a really good draft, by the way. We'll see. We'll see. And one of them, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? We're given an example of a brother and sister who does not have enough clothes to wear in order to stay warm or enough food to eat. They come into the assembly, and what do we do as brothers and sisters? Oh, well, you know what? I, I, know, I know you don't have a winter jacket and you're freezing. It's supposed to warm up on Friday. You'll be okay until then. There's a story of a young boy who ran an errand for his mother. He had just bought a dozen eggs. Spent all the money that he had. Walking out of the store, he tripped, he dropped the sack, and all the eggs broke, and the sidewalk was a mess. The boy tried not to cry. A few people gathered to see if he was okay and to tell him how sorry they were. In the midst of the works of pity, one man handed the boy a quarter. Then he turned to the rest of the group, and he said, I care 25 cents worth. How much do the rest of you care? The illustration goes on to say, James 2.16 points out that words don't mean much if we have the ability to do more. The Christian faith calls one to do more. It calls us to action. It calls us to living out our faith. And we're given an example of a brother or sister who needs something, and you claim to have faith, and you look at them, and then you look the other way. What good is your faith? What's the purpose of your faith? 
Are you living out what you claim to believe? Our faith should call us to action in the way that we live it out. And our lives should be testimonies of the risen Savior. Verse 17. So faith also, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is dead without works. If your, faith includes, if your faith includes no works, you need to evaluate your heart and make sure, one, that you are saved, and two, that you're choosing to actually follow the Spirit of God and you're not turning away from what the Spirit is leading you to do. But how do we work this in with passages like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. Again, you have Paul and you have James. Are they contradicting each other? Do they work together, or are they a contradiction? Paul writes that it's based solely on faith, not of works. One could read into this and think, well, well, wait a minute. Uh, that means that, that, means that I, I, I have to do so many good things in order to be saved. And if, and if I do those good things, then, then, then I'm, uh, that, that's, that's it. Then I'll go to heaven. That's not what James is saying. Your salvation is not works-based, yet your works are the evidence of a changed life. If someone claims to have faith and does not have works. Verse 18. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You know, there are times I read through Scripture where I look and I just marvel at God's amazing ability to give us truth. And this is one verse that I look at and I just, I just wow, as I read it. Some will say, I have faith. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, but I will show you my faith by my works. Our lifestyle, our actions should be something that boldly declares our faith to those around us. James says that you're talking to someone who says, listen, I, I have faith. That's all I need. I know there's a God. That's all I need. That's all. Maybe someone who says the phrase, only God can judge me. I believe, but I'm going to do whatever I want because works don't matter. Works have no significance. It doesn't matter. I, I know there's a God, but, but it, you know, whatever. James says, show me your faith because I don't see it. I hear you talking but I don't see it. I don't see it in the way you're living your life, in the way you're treating your neighbor, in the way that you love your family. I don't see it. But here, let me show you mine. And it's in the way that I'm living my life. That's, that is the declaration of my faith. Let me tell you my faith through the story of my actions. Now, if you've been at Mount Vernon for a while, you'll be familiar with the saying, it's not my favorite. All right, and I've said this a couple times. Mark will love this one. This is one of your favorites, right, Mark? <laughs> Put him on the spot. Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Right? Have you heard that? Has anybody heard that before? Right? Okay. Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Faith comes by hearing, right? We need words. But in this instance... I have a little bit of flexibility with this statement. 
James says, look at my faith and how I'm living my life. That includes my actions, the way I treat my family, the decisions I make. See, the evidence of my faith is the way that I live my life. People can say whatever they want. How many people have you heard say that they are a Christian? A lot. How many actually live it out in the way that they live their life? Verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What does this mean? If salvation is based on belief alone, be careful, then why aren't the demons saved? The demons believe that God is one, right? The demons believe that God is one. They know the great power of God. We saw that different times throughout Jesus' life. Remember in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes across the two demon-possessed men, and what do they say to Jesus? What business do you have with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Right? The demons know that God is one. Yet it's not something that they will surrender to. Salvation isn't only about knowledge. It's about surrendering your life. So you can know a lot of things. But what do you truly have faith in? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that confession, that surrender, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, With the mouth one confesses and is saved. The demons knew they had a time limit on earth. They knew who would win. They knew that Jesus had much more power than they could ever comprehend. Yet they choose not to surrender. They choose not to follow. Yet they believe that God is one. See, a knowledge that there is a God does not mean that you have faith in that God. Does not mean that you've surrendered your life to that God. In the same way, a person could claim to have faith, yet truly not. We continue on, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Useless. That's got me twice today. You do not believe that works are important, they matter. James says, here, let me show you. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and his faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. We see many different instances in the book of Genesis of Abraham's tremendous faith. One example is when, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, when God tells him to leave, and he gets up and goes. If God told you to sell everything you have and get up and move and go to the mission field, would that be your first response or would it be, you know what? (laughs) Let me make sure the message is coming through. There's been some static. Abraham's tremendous faith to go where God led him. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
Genesis chapter 2 is where we see the, the story of Abraham and Isaac. And we see another evidence of Abraham's faith when he takes his son Isaac to lay him on the altar. Yet we see Abraham's tremendous faith even before they get to the altar. Abraham says to the young man that's with him, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there, worship, and we're coming back to you again. See, my God's told me to go and to offer my son here as a sacrifice, but I want you to know something. I want you to know something. My God's promised, and when my God promises something, it always comes true. So we're going to go over there, but I know that the fulfillment of this promise is coming through this guy right here. So we're coming back. We're coming back. Romans 4, 1 through 3. And I don't have that up on the screen, but let me read that to you. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. How do we line these passages up? Right, One that says that Abraham's justified by his works, and the other that he's justified by faith. Again, James is writing to believers. Adjusting how, addressing how justification comes across to men. In the eyes of God, Abraham was already counted as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Because if Abraham's salvation was about the Isaac situation, then Abraham could go and boast, right? To all of his friends and all of his neighbors. You know what, guys? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm righteous now because God told me to do this and I did it. So, you peasants, figure it out. No. It's by God's grace. It's by God's grace. Yeah, that story of Abraham's tremendous faith is one that has changed countless lives. It's one that we will read over and over again in Scripture, and it will still be challenging. What tremendous evidence of one's faith. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. William MacDonald, the commentator, he writes this. Again, this does not mean that he was justified by faith plus works. He was justified by faith Godward and by works manward. God justified him the moment he believed. Man says, show me the reality of your faith. And the only way to do this is by good works. So you say this morning that good works don't matter. James says the exact opposite. Works are very important in the Christian life. The way that you treat your neighbor, the way that you love your family, the words that you speak, the things that you do. What do those say about your faith? Verse 25, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. We have an interesting comparison here. You have Abraham, right, the wealthy, respected man, the Hebrew, and then you have Rahab, the lowly prostitute who's a Gentile, right? Again, you have a man and a woman. You have a Gentile and a Hebrew. You have a, a wealthy and probably someone who was in poverty. It reminds us of God's heart for the nations, for the peoples. Interesting, coming just off of partiality, James goes to talk about someone who would have been viewed up here and someone who would have been viewed down here. Yet they both were justified. Their faith was demonstrated in tremendous ways. James highlights the gospel message is truly for all. 
in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Hear this this morning, brothers and sisters. God desires for your faith to produce fruit in your life. The way that we are to know if someone is truly saved is by looking at the fruit in their life. Faith that does not produce fruit should be carefully looked at. It's not completing its purpose. I still remember a story um, of a lady that I had the chance to know who loved people and served faithfully in a church for many years. Many, many, many years. And uh, I remember having a conversation with her about salvation. And she sat down and said, you know, Tony, I, I was only saved a couple years ago. I professed it. I thought I was saved. I knew all the right things to do. Yet, yet I really never surrendered. I didn't realize it was about a relationship. For me, it was all about me. It was about the way that I lived in my life. I had faith, right? Or I would declare that I had faith. This lady had served in a church for a long time. In prominent different leadership roles of, of teaching, whether it was children or adults. Yet she openly told me, Tony, I, I wasn't saved. And it wasn't until I met this person and, and this person spoke the truth of the gospel message that all of a sudden it clicked in my head. Wait a minute. I, I don't understand that. I've never given my life to the Lord. It's all been about what can I do and how do I make sure I do things right in hope that one day it'll all work out. Brothers and sisters, this is not a sermon that's supposed to make you go home and say, oh man, am I really saved? And you lay in bed all night and you think about it. It's one that calls us and highlights the importance of the way that we live our lives as believers. First, to the person today who says, I have no works in my life, no evidence of my faith. Well, a couple of things. One, make sure that you truly have given your life over to the Lord. Second, if you are convinced that you have, if you know you have, then surrender to the Holy Spirit. For those this morning who are, who are walking in the Spirit on a daily basis, let me encourage you to continue taking step by step with the Lord. Your works matter. Today we had uh, two, two children come up front. Deneen and Ryan and Cameron and Ramona, the way that you guys live your lives will be witnessed by your children. I think about that with my children. I think, oh, man, <laughs> right? Because there is no per earthly perfect parent. We all fall short. Yet by God's grace, we do the best that we can to point people to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are, for your love for us.
And Lord, we thank you that salvation is not because of how good we can be. But it's about how good you are. How merciful and how gracious you are. Father, I do ask that you would um, convict the hearts today of those who are here who don't know you. That they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, for those who, who do know you, Father, strengthen them as they continue in their daily walk. Lord, by your grace, may our works be evidence of our faith. In the way that we love, in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, may we preach the gospel always, whether it be by word or by deed. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close our time together in song. Please stand.